Welcome to the Battleground Wisconsin. My name is Matt Brusky, and yes, I am back from a two-week hiatus, much needed. want to thank my co-host for holding it down over the last couple of weeks, and yes, they are both back also this week. <laughs> that means Priscilla Board is with us here at the Battleground Wisconsin. Priscilla, good to have you. Good to have you back. Glad you got some uh, much-needed time off. We all uh appreciate a good time time off but happy to have you back happy to be back uh happy podcast day hey and just to show you too that i do listen to the show i heard the discussion about am i from an undisclosed location or not (laughs) yes undisclosed in shano wisconsin i actually folks i spent time with my family and i usually do that over the fourth of july and uh, Shano, Wisconsin on Shano Lake. Wonderful time. Uh, it, as I'm sure a lot of other folks, we talk often about the very small window of great weather here in Wisconsin, and you need to take time to get out and enjoy it. Speaking of that, another person, another panelist who loves to get out into Wisconsin nature, Robert Craig, the executive director here at Citizen Action. Robert, I assume you have taken advantage of the wonderful summer weather also and gotten out. Yes, Ice Age Trail, Shenandoah Mountains uh, in in Virginia. So, yes. Beautiful, beautiful. See, folks, we're giving you a little um, things to do on the weekends right to start the show. But look, you don't come here necessarily for that. And maybe some of you enjoy that. But you love to talk politics. That's what we're here for, especially politics here in the state of Wisconsin. Speaking of state politics, we're going to be joined later in the show by Heather Dubois. Borain, who is the executive director of WPN, that's the Wisconsin Public Education Network. These folks, they're the folks who are really, along with our educators on the front line in the fight for public education. We're going to be thrilled to have Heather on later to talk more about the state budget, public education. But Priscilla, Robert, before we do that, we got a a bevy of (laughs) topics we're going to ping pong around. And I want to get both of your comments, we don't necessarily have to go into a deep dive, but it is it is big news. And that is Trump has announced uh, that he is the target of a special counsel for the January 6th investigation. I think a lot of us have been, I guess, waiting for, for this, uh, especially after the very uh, intense House hearings over a year ago now, and just about everything but the dots fully connected to Trump. Well, What's interesting for us on the show, and I want to get both of your comments, is we now have at least three of our state election officials, uh, including uh, the embattled uh, head of our state election commission, uh, has all been interviewed by federal investigators. Priscilla, Robert, I want to get your thoughts on this. Yeah, um, like you said, big week, big, big things coming. I feel like uh, every single week, uh, Trump is, is something happening with that man uh it's still you know he's still denying all of these things it's still a quote witch hunt uh for for him he didn't do anything wrong uh but we are constantly seeing that you know our our system though maybe flawed at many points is is happening uh people are not letting january 6th just be a thing that happened uh, they're not letting these federal investigations just go away. Uh, so I'm I'm 
happy for lack of a better word that people are seeing these things through and accountability is slowly but surely hopefully surely happening uh, because this it has to because otherwise it's going to just let the door open for more January 6th and elevated January 6th uh, so thing things are moving uh yeah. you also enjoy when Trump uh whatever not tweets it because he's not there uh whatever social media platform he uses we find out all these things from him like great let us know all the things that you're doing wrong yeah so Priscilla you mentioned this uh I will add before we hear from Robert this is all in the backdrop of Trump is basically knocking out DeSantis while all of this stuff is flaring his polling numbers now have him up like 30 points DeSantis famously last week flipped his campaign staff which i think everybody in this uh on this show knows is not a good sign and usually a sign that the candidate is struggling mightily and uh just having a shall we say changing the tinsel on the tree robert i know you like to talk about tinsel anyways uh so all of this is certainly playing well to trump's base but uh robert Wisconsin, again, uh, the center of what could be a major indictment as we head into a, a historically important election. So, I mean, DeSantis is looking more like a lot of failed governors running for president and a lot more like Scott Walker than Bill Clinton or George W. Bush. And so, but we shall see. Uh, I think that there is a kind of tacit strategy here to try to undermine Trump's election viability and ultimately make it a real primary. And that there are ads to that effect being run in early primary states. So I think it's still pretty early, but it doesn't look good for anyone challenging Trump at the moment. We know it looks like he'll be indicted a third time soon, the federal level, then a fourth time in Georgia. That spikes his uh, approval because as a rally around the flag, even if it's the Confederate flag that they're rallying around. And so as for Wisconsin, with great influence comes great responsibility. Look, folks, I'm a badger, but it's absurd that we play a bigger role in who's president than New York or California or a state that is a red state or a blue state, and even if it's very big. And so, of course, this is where elections get stolen. So, of course, this is where any investigation would take place. And Priscilla could not be more right in saying that if we don't uphold the rule of law, we are changing the norms and we are creating the that that basically the conditions for authoritarianism. But we have this problem with a lot of folks on the Democratic Party coalition, which united front against authoritarianism, who think that, well, it would be partisan to investigate the other party because the other party was behind trying to steal the election. That is the beginning of authoritarianism, folks. And we have Merrick Garland sat on it for a long time. The U.S. Attorney General finally, partly embarrassed by the January 6th committee's investigation, uh, did a special counsel who is now moving quickly, but it's late. And but Trump may get away with it because we're so close to the election. Uh, we have some attorney generals moving forward, like in Michigan, that just the attorney general there just indicted their fake electors in Wisconsin crickets, and they committed violations as we care to prosecute people who voted when they were ineligible by mistake or did stupid things like vote twice as a lark. People in, in some states are in jail for years for that, a lot of black and brown people. But here these people go to the Capitol, say that they are representing the full electorate. They were stealing every one of our votes. 
and there's been no accountability yet. And I, Robert, I, it, it is worth pointing out yesterday, Josh Call was asked about this and did not answer, but, you know, clearly seemed to at least acknowledge that the terrain is, 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 has evolved. Right. And Robert, you sent me an article from about a, over a year ago with call last saying he wouldn't do anything as it related to the fake electors because he wanted the Fed and thought it was appropriate for the feds to move. And now that that is done, yeah. right, we see Michigan moving, right? right? So it is a logical question that, and quite frankly, it's part of why I brought this up. We really need Josh Call to seriously consider an investigation. And from my perspective, it ought to happen because the goods are on on this. And by the way, this reconnects all the conversation about what happened with Ron Johnson and his staff. Um, and as Priscilla said, it is fundamentally important, right? You cannot seed the idea of the rule of law. And by the way, that's the party that I grew up all, that's all I heard from them was rule of law. Priscilla, I want to give you one. And well, then I Robert. got one quick follow-up on what you said. There's an evolution with call. You were right to point that out. At first, he was saying it's the Fed's job. In Michigan, the AG was referring it to the Feds and asking them to investigate. But now that the Michigan AG's moved, I wonder if she knows it won't come from the Feds. And therefore, and Josh Call has moved by saying they will not confirm or deny there's an investigation. Well, there better be one if there isn't one, Attorney General. Priscilla? Yeah. Um, yeah, this this sets a huge precedent for what's going to happen next year, that we're, we're running out of time. And if we happen to, you know, lose this presidency, uh, this is just going to set up people up to do this more and more. Votes won't, votes essentially won't matter. We're already losing people every day of, oh, my vote doesn't, doesn't matter, doesn't count. And it would mean something uh, if, if we live in a Trump, even a DeSantis presidency, this is going to happen underneath him. So this, this has to happen now. We cannot let this, this keep keep going on because we just it's it's such a slippery slope and it won't just be presidency we'll see school boards we'll see county boards uh being certified in the wrong direction uh so this is this is a huge turning point that it's still happening uh and i just i wish all the people well in in doing this and not giving up because they they just can't they gotta keep going this is part part of a broader strand standing up to bullies in the magus wing in the, the the white supremacist wing the racist wing the, the the whole bigoted wing and i will just say it's 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 vitally important and it also is important going into an election year to actually demonstrate what's fundamentally at stake and that democrats are willing to fight for some of these core principles right and by the way right if you have this potential investigation of Trump direct connect to January 6th, it only empowers these state AGs to, to, to go and, and make the connect and follow, in this case, Attorney General Josh Call, the Michigan AG, and, and at a minimum, seriously reconsidering this. I mean, we, we've been clear here. We think he should, he should get on the train and, and go after these folks. These, these are fraudsters. And they they want to be above the law. And it's important that we be clear that that's not acceptable. 
Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin where Citizen Action. You can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. First of all, I I, want to make sure either of you, if you have any other thoughts on the Trump situation before we go to other topics. Robert? Just one, one, as bad as what Priscilla said about the implications of, uh, you know, giving up on prosecuting clear wrongdoing in the uh, light of day that was both fraudulent and attack on our fundamental institutions. Um, Donald Trump, it's, uh, uh, there's been some very good investigative reports, has a plan to make sure if he's president, he ends all democratic accountability for himself and basically ends the all the features of democracy that prevented him from succeeding the first time in stealing the election. So, this is uh, more than theoretical. Um, they, they, there's a game plan coming from his part of the right as to how they will victor Orban uh, this country, the, Hung- the Hungarian dictator that Fox News uh, uh, personalities seem quite attracted to. So, folks, to, to bring this right back now to Wisconsin, right, this week we saw Republican lawmakers introduce a bill that would add watermarks to absentee ballots. You may ask yourself, watermarks, fascinating. Haven't heard about watermarks since there was an an offensive one on a famous uh, TV show. Now, what really, watermarks to absentee ballots? Can we we talk about this, Priscilla? We've got clerks all over the state, including the radically liberal uh, (laughs) Oconomowoc clerk saying, what the hell? This does nothing. This is complicating. It solves nothing. We're unaware of a problem of copied ballots. Folks, they already have all kinds of, there's all kinds, remember those little initials that you see on your ballot that come from the, there's all kinds of things that are significantly better than a watermark. Priscilla, yeah. uh, what what is this really about? I, when I read uh, the article, I was like, oh, uh, okay. Um, you know, it's it's funny because uh, Republicans like to act that oh, like to act like only Democrats vote absentee, uh, and so they act like if we can get rid of absentee, and the Democrats just won't won't vote, and it'll just all be Republican votes, as if Republicans don't use the absentee or early vote system. Uh, also pointing out too that uh. There's, yeah, like you said, there's so many other things that protect the ballot. There's the envelope itself, because you can't make a copy of that very specific envelope. You can't get the initials. It's also different paper, and these ballots are huge. I don't know who's making copies of them or what clerk would accept a photocopied ballot. Anyways, I think it'll be pretty obvious what's photocopied. So let's just make voting harder. We know we love to do that. In the state of Wisconsin, it's not hard enough. So why not add yet another uh, thing? It's going to take longer for absentee ballots if they got to watermark every single one, and then they just won't arrive on time. So, yeah, we're just we're just trying to make voting as hard as possible. Yeah, yeah. Like let's 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 be honest. And Robert, I want to give you the last thought before we head to our guest. Um, Robert, this is all about just sowing confusion, sowing, sowing the seeds of a system in their base, right? Like they're feeding their base 
trash. It's like giving them Fruit Loops or something, right? You know, uh, a, a diet of Fruit Loops. And so that when they lose the election next year or it's close, they can continue to just sow these seeds, right? Uh, Robert, your thoughts? Because why else, right? I mean, and by the way, just to play this out further, there's a cartoon waiting to be written about the watermark that deserves to show up on some of these ballots. <laughs> Robert. This is their general playbook to find something that they think is common sense that's supposed to prevent a non-existent problem they've made up, like whatever fraud they're trying to stop with the, with the watermarks. Uh, it won't be as successful as photo ID, which was able to play on uh, middle a lot of white middle classes people's complete clueness cluelessness of how many people on society don't have IDs and cluelessness that they've been lied to that there was any identity theft voter fraud and any significant numbers in this kind of state so they're trying to do the same thing it's a little bit absurd because it's sort of the uh, ballot security of the 19th century Robert you haven't words, heard about the copying of ballots this huge problem that the journal Sentinel right. investigative just, crew uncovered over the last just, decade you just make it up in other words um so this is like when you had carbon paper and typewriters and then you know the watermark was a the the the, the advanced security of the 19th century this is no longer the case. I mean, we could probably uh, talk to go back and figure out how people did security at bars and other things when people didn't all have IDs. I mean, it's probably stuff that with that we've never heard of. So the point is, it's kind of an absurd kind of copycat of the uh, of the very successful, unfortunately, uh, voter ID push from uh, from the right, which started well before MAGA and before Trump had even decided to come down the golden elevator. So the reason I wanted to make sure we talked about that is, right, this is why, right, all this stuff, again, it's seeding, sowing the seeds of distrust in the system so you could even have a January 6th, right? So, yeah, we are definitely, we're going to slow down here, change directions. We are very fortunate we have our special guest, Heather Dubois-Bornan from the Wisconsin Public Education Network. The executive director of that fine organization is with us, and we're thrilled to have you, Heather. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Excited to uh, be here. We're look, we're super happy to have you with us because we have been admiring and talking about your organization's work, quite frankly, for a number of budget cycles and years, but in particular this budget cycle. Um, and we'll just start by saying. Right. We I think we and our listeners sort of share our frustration around the state budget. And so if we could start, could you just tell our listeners, first of all, a little bit more about your organization and your sort of your position in the state budget? And then from there, we'll, we'll dive into some much more internal movement type questions that we think a lot of our listeners are want to hear. But Heather, tell us for folks who don't really know much about y'all, just tell them a little bit more about your your org? So Wisconsin Public Education Network is a statewide coalition of people who have just been paying attention to the distance between what kids actually need in their public schools and what they're getting. 
at the state and local level and, and seeing the disparities across the state between access and opportunities and resources that are being allocated and starting to ask the question like, how did it get so bad? Like who let who let this happen and why? And like, why aren't our leaders really listening to us on this? And, um, you know, a lot of our folks are our parents or educators or board members or superintendents or, you know, just people who want to be start part of a larger coalition to just start pointing out the elephants that are in some of the rooms that we're in and call on our leaders to do something about it because the status quo is failing our kids all over the state. And we've, we've got a lot of work to do within our public school system. And a lot of the, you know, proposals that we're seeing at the state level are gap widening measures rather than measures that help us address the very real concerns that we need to, to deal with now, if we're serious about, um, you know, delivering equitable opportunities for all the kids in the state, especially black and brown students, when we know that Wisconsin has the biggest racial disparities out of all the 50 states when it comes to public education. These are problems that we can solve, and these are problems that we are going to solve, and that's what our network aims to do, is bring people together and give them tools, resources, credible um, informational materials so that they can have the facts they need to go do the local organizing, to move their own lawmakers into understanding better what the implications are of some of this bad policy that is wreaking havoc at the local level all over the state. So it's a pretty big pretty big work, yeah. but yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah. it's mobilizing so, hey, and motivating for folks who care about kids. Oh, well, look, I think a lot of our listeners who just heard that were like, oh, that sounds like me. So we'll have more information about how you can get involved later. But OK, so now you and your org like Citizen Action had issues with the budget. Tell our listeners very specifically, or at least as best you can, what are you, were your are your major concerns about the recently passed state budgets as it relates to public education? Okay, first of all, I think this requires just a tiny bit of context. Wisconsin is entering its thirteenth year of budgets that have failed to keep pace with inflation. After seeing the biggest cuts, to public education in the history of cuts to education under the very first budget of Scott Walker in, in 2011. That was, that was Act 10. This new status quo of just squeezing and freezing funding for pub public schools after 20 years of, of having revenue limits that have limited how much districts are even allowed to spend at the local level without having to vote to raise taxes on themselves has just placed an absolute stranglehold on districts all over the state and has really exacerbated this problem I mentioned before of sort of creating winners and losers amongst our kids and have and have not districts in ways that are really unfair, have nothing to do with student needs at the local level and are all about, you know, this antiquated system of funding we have that, that it cares more about property values than what kids need. And so we're looking for budgets that close those gaps and that resolve those problems. So the governor put a great budget on the table. He was proposing $2.6 billion in new spendable aid for public schools, critically addressing the areas that need it most, especially in um, closing our special education funding gap, which is has been called the worst in the nation uh, by some national experts and providing resources for student mental health, which is at an absolute crisis point all over the state and by just addressing many of the other priority 
priority needs our kids have. We advocated really hard for, for that budget. We showed up at all the hearings. We tracked the testimony. People agreed with and supported the governor's budget. And when that budget went forward to the Joint Finance Committee and they just sliced and diced it down to, you know, less than $1 billion in spendable aid that would get to public school classrooms while simultaneously giving the biggest handout in state history to unaccountable voucher and charter schools, we were like, no, whoa, whoa, whoa. This is not what we people were advocating for. None of this came up in, in the public hearings. The, the distance between the moral document the governor put forward and what was on the table now was, was obscene. And so we very strongly opposed that. Well, we're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, my Two other panelists are going to follow up with questions. Folks, you're listening to The Battleground Wisconsin. We're Citizen Action. Again, you can find us at citizenactionwi.org. Welcome back to The Battleground Wisconsin. Priscilla, you please have the first follow-up question for our guest. All right. Um, appreciate very much the uh, the context that you gave, because I think a lot of that has been missing. A lot of that's been misconstrued in uh, a lot of praise going out towards this budget when when we know that there are so many uh, areas of improvement to uh, find a more positive type word. Uh, but we know what words we really want to use. Um, what what comes next for for WPN for you for for listeners who want to do something about this this budget about the next steps that are in the budget what what do we do well that's a big question because i think this budget has exposed a real teaching moment for wisconsin people really don't understand how school finance works and the spin around the governor's clever use of his veto pen to you know make permanent that tiny bump to the revenue limits you know by $325 a year you know sounds like a great you know, move, right? It's like, who doesn't want more funding for the next 400 years? But I'll tell you what we don't want for the next 400 years, revenue limits. That's part of the main problem here. Like the suggestion that we're still going to be using this same um, gap widening system into all eternity is pretty frightening on its face. However, the, the bigger thing is understanding that that the move he made didn't add any money to the budget. It didn't improve anything about the budget for kids who are going back to school this fall. This fall, a full 39% of districts, according to the DPI aid estimates that came out last week, are going to go back to school with less funding than they saw last year. And if you recall in the last budget, districts got $0 in new spendable aid. And so this is just an unsustainable status quo. This and the budget that that was passed does not give districts any wiggle room for you know making the 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 necessary changes and improvements to catch kids up from the pandemic that they're going to need to make. So I guess our first step is just making sure that folks realize what's really at stake. You know whether your district was a winner or a loser in this in this budget, 
um, is less important than understanding that it's not okay to have winners and losers amongst our kids. All the kids should be winners when it comes to having access to an excellent public school. And if we're creating and investing in, um, you know, making our existing problems worse, then that's something that we just can't stand. The good news is the other veto moves that he made did free up some of the money that's still on the table. And if our legislature had the will or the spine or the or the concern for its children that it should, it would reconvene and call a special session and put that money back to work for kids. Restore that special education funding reimbursement to 60% so that we can start closing the um, funding discrimination between public and private schools in that area. Give money back to the mental health categories that the governor had proposed that would prevent districts from having to uh, apply for competitive grants for a tiny pot of money. Uh, restore the high poverty aid that was gutted entirely from the from the budget in this cycle and simply allocate some more funds where they're needed most across the state so that districts can really do what they want to and need desperately to do, which is meet the needs of our kids. Oh, can I, I want to answer that really quick. Absolutely. Go for it. Yeah, um, I appreciate you talking about the misinformation uh, out there and the confusion, because I think, uh, as I often want to remind our listeners, like, it's okay to be confused. This was a confusing thing that just happened with this budget. Uh, so uh, it's it's okay. The the good information is out there, uh, but like, it's it's a confusing thing. So just keep, keep sorting through, keep listening to people like, like Heather. All right. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks Heather for all your advocacy and what you just laid out already to us, but mostly your advocacy and leadership and everyone around you that's been working with you. I'm glad you pointed out this was not a victory, right? And, uh, demystified the 400 year veto people were so excited to take to, to, for the governor to win and the media was so excited about the magic of that veto there's no state money behind it after this budget he's not really done anything that wouldn't require a future legislature uh to, to support public education it's kind of smoke it's kind of like a rabbit was pulling the hat but the rabbit is stuffed it's not a real rabbit so which we've been saying on the podcast and uh, you talked about the broader context. You talked about all of the testimony and advocacy. And you know where this is in the opinion polls, too. We've been saying it's just another example of how this is not a Democratic legislature. It was not elected with fair maps. And it doesn't represent public opinion. It doesn't listen to the testimony before it, because you tracked overwhelming it was for Governor Evers' budget, and they just ignored it because they think the maps will protect them. They may not anymore because of the Supreme Court situation. So, but they did, as you pointed out, Governor, mostly with that uh, vetoing the huge tax cut for the rich, preserved a lot of the money for a future legislature. You're right, this one could come back, but I don't think they're going to have come to Jesus, uh, so to speak, or have a change of heart, but that we need a different one. But I want to ask you about vouchers. So, Vouchers are, you know, this has been a conspiracy since the 80s of the right to undermine public education. And in this shared revenue deal where no one knew that the governor's top priority education being traded off for still inadequate and structurally racist shared revenue deal, um, we actually gave them, you know, a, gen a generational win as far as the right wing crusade against one of the core pillars of American society free, equal public education. Can you say a little more about what 
or about the, the, the increased funding for the private unaccountable vouchers goal? Public education folks were really blindsided by that move because I think folks who, who have been following you know, state politics and state elections know that the governor was reelected on a promise to be the goalie against this kind of maneuver and had vetoed, in fact, a, a similar bill last year that we called the voucher free for all that would have, you know, provided, you know, massive expansion of that program, um, but reached a deal in this compromise that actually provided um, a, a historic piece of legislation that people aren't really talking about in what was the very first standalone piece of legislation that was signed into law um, expanding expanding the voucher funding. I mean, normally those moves are made, you know, in the cover of night and these, you know, kind of backroom budget negotiations and they're shoved into the budget at the last minute without time for debate and kind of passed as part of the omnibus package. This time it was a standalone bill and it held um, public school funding hostage to the expansion of these programs by including a promise to raise the low revenue limit ceiling for some low spending districts up to $11,000, something that, you know, those districts are districts are desperate for any kind of new spendable aid. And so, um, you know, it had kind of a poison pill in it, I think. Um, let's let's talk for a minute about how the state average of revenue limits is twelve thousand dollars. So it doesn't even bring those districts up to this, you know, the state average or um, meeting the needs of of those kids. There was also a provision in in the law that prohibited districts that have had a failed referendum in the past three years from being eligible for that. And so there were 28 districts that that were ineligible and about um, 14 that aren't going to see any any increase to aid at, at all, some of which are going to get cuts, actually, like Beloit. Um, and so the understanding why the governor signed that bill into law has been a, a real mystery for folks, because usually in a compromise, um, both sides get something great, right? And this is, this is you know, going to do damage forever. The other thing folks aren't talking about is that the, the enormity of the increase for the, for the private schools. I mean, we're, we're talking about like 20 to 40% increase in how much they're getting from the state in a guaranteed per pupil direct payment amount, which is more by considerable amount than most districts get in per pupil spending from the state and more than many districts are even still allowed to spend because of their revenue limits. So that's partly part of the problem. The other huge part of the problem is that no one's talking about how in a few budgets ago they snuck in this provision that will allow that program's caps to come off entirely in the 20. 26 school year. Yes. And when that happens at these new rates, there's no plan for how the state is going to pay for this. That money comes straight off the top of the general education budget and just makes the pot smaller for public school kids. In the statewide parental choice program, pretty close to 80% of the kids who have ever participated in that program across the state, not counting the Milwaukee and, and Racine programs, which are funded separately, never attended a public school. 
So we're just adding more and more kids to the system without increasing the total um, number of funds. And then they have the nerve to count that funds toward the, the grand total, you know, when they're bragging about, mm -hmm. about the investment in education. That's really troubling to us. And um, the unfair way that those funds are allocated without providing protections for students are the other issue. These are schools that do not have to follow laws protecting the rights of students with disabilities. They can legally discriminate against kids for any reason, including for um, sexual preference or gender or, or racial reasons. They can do corporal punishment. They don't have to hire licensed teachers. And so it's not an apples to apples kind of comparison. And it's only public schools that are held accountable to, to democratically elected boards and that provide opportunities for parent input, engagement, and, and community and caregiver involvement. And those are the sort of democratic protections that our public schools allow that we wish to see all schools receiving public funds held ac accountable to the same, same standards for. Oh, Heather, you are getting me all fired up. I, you may not know this. I've been on vacation for two weeks and my blood pressure had come down. It's back up again because you've reminded me how upset I am about this state budget. Look, we got to take a quick break. I need, I need to, we, we need to dive into a really important topic on the back end of this. Folks, you're listening to the Battleground Wisconsin your Citizen Action. Welcome back to the Battleground Wisconsin. We are talking about the state budget here in Wisconsin, education funding with Heather Dubois Bornon from the Wisconsin Public Education Network. And folks, before we let Heather go, she is going to let you know how you can get involved because there's nothing more important than this fight in this fight going forward. And none of us are going anywhere. And Heather, that's what I want to talk to you about. Our organizations, we're in a sort of a shared struggle or fight in this state budget where we are progressive groups, I think we could say, and have progressive approach to this. We also do base building. We try to get folks engaged. You talked about that earlier in the show about how you really try to get people who, you know, want to fight for public education and see the disconnect between what we're experiencing. Um, so to that end, we're in this really challenging situation where there's not a lot of knowledge. There's not a lot of media coverage of state politics. The state budget happens in a dizzying blizzard of issues. And we're in this unique situation where Robert mentioned gerrymandered illegitimate legislature and then Governor Evers as the only statewide elected who it seems ought to have more power in this drama. And yet... What you just laid out to me, I'll say it, it's the worst negotiated deal I've ever heard of in my life. And if I were a union leader, I would have said, oh, my God, who sent, like, who sent this person to negotiate for us? Right. Like we never like I stuff that wasn't even in the table on the discussions. Right. You mentioned the vouchers, all this, all of a sudden, suddenly in the game. Terrible, terrible. But yet, how do you win? progressives feel like their backs are up against the wall. They have to defend this governor, right? And they do know the governor's in a tough spot. Nobody's saying this is an easy situation, but like, how do you build support to like challenge a democratic governor amongst progressives at a critical moment like this, 
when we think he made a fundamental mistake. Talk more about that and just the struggle, because certainly we, we feel that at Citizen Action, but just from your perspective. Yeah, the, that's a that's a huge question. And I think for me, the bottom line is I'm not here to defend a failing status quo. I'm not here to be an apologist for public schools that aren't meeting the needs of all kids. I'm here to get real change for real kids who are experiencing trauma right now in our schools, in our classrooms across the state and demand better. And so I don't have time for this partisanship and the politicking and all the rest. And if I need to be a critical friend to my allies and help them remember that the needs of our kids are not going to be resolved by incremental change. And I, we cannot expect our educators, our families, our children to be cheering for crumbs that are sprinkled on them every two years and, and told that they have to wait forever at a time when our state has never and may never again be in as rosy a fiscal situation as it is right now. It's just insulting. And so somebody's got to say it. Right. And it's hard to be that person. Nobody wants to like stand up in the room and like say the unpopular political thing. But when we focus on what kids need, when we focus on community values, when we have good relationships with our, our administrators, our, our school boards, our um, school finance folks, and we know what our local schools need most, and we can collaborate together and have a unified message, then we can maybe move some decision makers. Then maybe we can build a little bit of community power and make a difference where we live. And if we make a difference where we live, then that change powers up because we get that question all the time. You know, we're never going to get any change until we get fair maps and we're never going to get fair maps. So I'm just going to sit this out and, and I may as well not even vote. That's the worst way you can think about this because we've seen the power of what happens when a few mad people show up. Look at your school board. Who's showing up there? Are you showing up there? Because somebody is, and there's a pretty good chance right now that it's somebody who does not have the best interest of kids at heart. So you better be there listening and showing up for them. And if you can bring a friend with you and get organized, where you live and get connected with us around the state, then maybe we can build the power it takes to make a difference. So Heather, to that end, that was the best damn pitch for why you should join, get involved in Wisconsin Public Education Network. Heather, if people are listening and they want to get involved, how, how do they do that with y'all? Reach out. We're on social media. We're our Facebook page is pretty active. You can visit us there. You can go to wisconsinnetwork.org and sign up to join our mailing list. You can come in person to our annual event, the big one time a year. We convene folks from all over the state who are as mad as we are about all these things and talk seriously about what is it going to take? What's our theory of change going to be to make a difference? How, what do we need to know to move these folks to do better by kids? August 10 in South Milwaukee, we're having our summer summit. It is only $40 and that includes an amazing lunch and, and a super action focused day of learning and leading together and connecting with other folks from around the state. You can, um, you can get a scholarship if that cost is prohibitive for you, or you can donate more if you want to support the great work that we're doing. But we need to see you there. You need to get off the sidelines and into the fight where you live and connect with the statewide effort to make a difference because nothing's going to change until we force it. The status Hell quo. Yeah. Hell itself. yeah. Hell yeah. Priscilla, I think you're going to that. I know. For I sure. will be there. Uh, join hey. me. Um, come sit with me. Come party with Citizen Action. 
uh, come learn how to be uh, the best uh, public education advocate and supporter that you you can be. Come find me if you're going to be there. And with that, Heather, we want to thank you for taking the time to join us and mostly for your leadership. It's we 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 know we our fellow nonprofit folks, it's it's hard to run an organization and lead. And we really appreciate your leadership. And thank you for taking the time uh, to talk with us today. Well, thank you so much for having me. And I'll just say that this is a leadership that is shared by all of us across the state. It's not going to take just one or two mad, mad moms out there, you know, raising their fists all the time. It's it's going to it's going to take all of us kind of taking on the leadership we can employ where we live and, and make a difference. And so I invite everyone to join us, WisconsinNetwork.org. Um, my cell phone's on there. So feel free to give me a call if you want to talk about any more of this stuff. Well, thank you so much. With that, folks, we 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 really appreciate having people like Heather on. And you can see now you can see now why we had her on. Great fire, same vision. We don't do this alone. This is a movement and it requires your involvement. We will have a link to how you can get involved with them. Please, if that fired you up, you should get involved. Encourage others who you think really need to get involved in this. It's a, it's a wonderful opportunity, right? And, uh, and and so I hope that inspired you. It inspired me, even if it got my blood pressure going, thinking about the, <laughs> the world's worth, worst negotiator. Hey, folks, we got a couple more topics. I want to make sure uh, our panel gets a chance to uh, talk about before we go. Um, and Robert, one of them, and Priscilla is referenced. It was sort of referenced in this previous conversation. And there was a, a research policy forum found that we had over a, a billion dollars in tax cuts in the state budget and a whole lot of numbers, a whole lot of this and that trying to make it sound like everyone's getting a little piece of the pie. Uh, yeah. Unless you live in Milwaukee, <laughs> where your taxes just went up in a highly regressive and racist way, Robert, Priscilla, <laughs> Um, yeah, it, uh, yeah, it's, a, it's always very interesting. We love a good wording of, of things we love where it seems, oh yeah, Wisconsin, all Wisconsinites, but it's, it's not all Wisconsinites and even the Wisconsinites, it's, it's impacting, like it's definitely a tiered-ish type system, uh, where some are getting a little more savings than others. And it's never the group that actually needs the savings uh, that uh, are expected to actually see these savings from, from budget. So, uh, I mean, it's exciting. Like, I'm glad that like there's savings, things are being done, but it's frustrating of uh, who's constantly left out of the conversation though it never, you know, it's never too apparent until all of a sudden everybody else getting these great uh, tax breaks and savings and the people who need them the most are never the people who actually get them. So when you look at the whole budget, this is what's important about the report that was released by the uh, Wisconsin Policy Forum. There are a lot more tax cuts in it than in than than have been reported because there's all sorts of small ones that add up. And in addition, the education funding is going to reduce property taxes in the first two years, not after. 
Uh, but what is not really discussed in the media coverage is that, of course, there's one place that isn't true of, and that's Milwaukee. Because I'm sure if you added it up, maybe we should ask the public, the Wisconsin Public Policy Forum, Policy Forum, um, the massive sales tax increase only on Milwaukee to pay for half its shared revenue, and the only uh, that the only large BIPOC majority city in the in the state with huge pockets of of racial segregation and inequality and therefore poverty, um, will be paying more in taxes. So I just want to point out that. We're on a very regressive path. It's very good. Best thing Evers did was vetoing $3.5 billion of tax giveaways for wealthier people. Uh, but we're continuing to proceed uh, on, a, on an unsustainable course because the policy forum report also found that we are spending in this budget substantially more money, even with that veto, than revenue. And we forget that Walker has gutted the revenue capacity of the state, for example, removing almost all taxes for manufacturing, right? The what's called very confusingly the manufacturing agricultural tax credit. We need to be restoring revenue and neither side is proposing that here. We have dueling different tax cuts. If we're gonna do what Heather says about truly, finally, getting to the promise of equal education, truly equal education, education that kids need for every kid in Wisconsin, not more education for the kids who are better off and less for the ones who are worse off, which is what we have now because of the antiquated property tax basis, then we're gonna to need to increase revenue. And the governor keeps proposing alternative tax cuts and says he's still open to negotiations if they're not for rich people. He actually shouldn't be, and he should take, he should follow the leader of the party, Joe Biden, who is talking about building revenue and a billionaire's tax and all sorts of things that Democrats haven't talked about since the 1960s. So yeah. please, memo, I know that the watermarks aren't necessary, but the 1990s dueling tax cuts thing, that's old school and retrograde too, and you can't be for education funding, healthcare funding, infrastructure, everything else, and be for continuing to chip away at the state's revenue base. Yeah, the one of the reasons I'm really happy we're closing with this is you mentioned it, Robert. We're going to get serious about the kind of funding and resources we really need for our public education systems, our municipalities and cities, right? Let's be honest, Milwaukee is still getting shortchanged in what it needs out of shared revenue. This idea that it has to raise a regressive sales tax, appalling. And the reality the reality of this is we have got to go get revenue. It's wildly popular. The billionaire's taxes, Robert mentioned, President Biden's for it. If we do not start to put revenue back on the table, right, that whole gimmick about the state budget for 400 years, there isn't the revenue. So, folks, this all comes together. We will be full-throatedly talking about that as we go forward and definitely into the next budget cycle. And we look forward to partnering and working with fantastic groups like Wisconsin Public Education Network. And thank Heather Dubois-Bornat for joining us today. Really appreciate it. Folks, we're going to wrap this Battleground Wisconsin up. Again, if you have friends out there, share this with them. If we want to know a little bit more about what really went on in the public education budget and what it's going to take for us to organize to change that going forward. So please share this show with others. But folks, we'll see you next week here at the Battleground, Wisconsin.